All right, good morning, brothers and sisters. Turn with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 8 for just a moment. There's a message here concerning independence that was given to God's prophet in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And I think it's appropriate to consider today because it relates to the way of our people now, which is the way that leads to hell, the way described in Revelation 21.8. And this is what God told his prophet who was sent to King Ahaz, a virtue signaling king who did not fear God and who was part of the problem of a nation that had turned its back to God instead of its face. And the virtue signaling king kind of lightly esteemed God's prophecy there of Emmanuel. I'm not going to tempt the Lord or ask for a sign. And the prophet Isaiah gave him one anyway. That's the famous prophecy of the virgin birth there in chapter 7. And Isaiah was told by the Lord in chapter 8, in view of the king's response and in view of the land and the... the, uh, the iniquity of that place. Isaiah, what, we, we think of these prophets as popular, powerful preachers in their day. They weren't. They were despised. You know, tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in half. That's his death. Um, that's what tra- Jewish tradition says. We're not told. We are told in Hebrews 11 that there were those who were stoned, those who were sawn asunder, sawed in half. And so these prophets dwelt in the midst of a wicked people. And this is what God tells his prophet in chapter 8. It's a message of independence. It's a dependence we should be willing to declare, just as our forefathers were over 200 years ago. Verse 11, For the Lord spake thus to me, this is to Isaiah and his family, and the children God had given him as signs and wonders in the land of Israel, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Do not walk in the way of your people. In other words, declare your independence from the way of your people. Say ye not a confederacy to all them whom this people shall say a confederacy. Don't, you, don't unite with them. Don't come together and celebrate with them. Say not a confederacy. Say not a union. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. You see, we were told long before COVID-19 that we as people of God are not to fear the fear of wicked, a wicked society. Not to be afraid of the things a wicked society are afraid of. And we did. Without even blinking, we feared their fear. We don't know the Bible. We don't know the Scriptures. This is what Isaiah and his family were to do in verse 13. And I think this is what we should do. Or consider at least this day set aside to remember the Declaration of Independence. Sanctify the Lord God of hosts Himself. In other words, sanctify the Lord of hosts. Set Him aside. Let Put Him in a place of prominence. 
Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself and let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. In other words, let it be God you fear. Let it be God you dread and none of this other stuff. Not your government, not your wicked society, not its military, not its laws. None of that. Let God be your fear and your dread. And... Verse 14, he shall be for a sanctuary. In other words, if you'll let God be your fear and your dread, declare your independence spiritually from a wicked people and let God be your fear and your dread, then he will be your sanctuary in the midst of judgment upon a wicked nation. He will be your sanctuary and but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the habitants of Jerusalem. God is going to judge Israel and Jerusalem here. But he told the prophet, if you will let me be your fear and your dread, I'll be your sanctuary while I'm their judgment. So guys, we need to declare our independence from our nation, just like our forefathers did from England. That time has come. Now, unlike, I mean, if it weren't for our forefathers who were willing to quit their jobs, forsake their homes, and get on a boat with no guaranteed safe passage over a stormy North Atlantic Ocean to come here and try to start a new life for the freedom to worship God, none of us would be here. But we're willing... To jeopardize our lives and our health because we're afraid of losing a stupid job. How do we celebrate what our forefathers did and we don't live it? That's profound hypocrisy. I think it's a sin against God. I think celebrating the Declaration of Independence today in our society is a sin against a mighty God because we celebrate the things that our forefathers did and we're unwilling to do it. It's hypocrisy. Shame on us. Let God be our fear and our dread. He's not. And because He's not, the church is in shambles. I'm not preaching you folks personally. I, I know I don't have to do that. I know, you, I know you're not like that, but I'm going to preach that way anyway because we have not feared the Lord. Jesus said, fear Him who has power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear those that kill the body because after that, there's nothing else they can do. If they kill you, there's nothing else they can do to you. Let the Lord be your fear and your dread. That's the essence of spiritual independence. Let Him be your fear and your dread and then He will be your sanctuary in a wicked nation. That's just, that's the spirit of why our forefathers came to these shores in the first place. They put their lives at great risk because they valued fear of God and the freedom to worship Him over their jobs, over their livelihoods, and even over their own lives. And we celebrate that. But how many Christians in America who are told by a boss in a dead-end job, you better get that COVID vaccine or you can't keep your job, will march right down there and do it. Because they care so much about a job. When everybody else is hiring and paying ridiculous amounts of money, they'll stick something in their arm that we don't even know what it is because they're afraid they might lose their job. Or how many preachers won't say what needs to be said because they're afraid a deacon might get upset. 
And yet we celebrate our forefathers who didn't fear men and didn't fear even their own health and safety and came here to worship God freely. We celebrate what we're unwilling to do. That's hypocrisy. That's what it is. And it's the essence of cowardice and unbelief. The two sins we've talked about the last couple of Sundays that will go into the lake of fire. Now guys, unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. Cowardice is a sin. For the coward or for the Christian struggling with cowardice, remember, a Christian may struggle with cowardice, but he's not a coward. A coward is an identity. But for the Christian struggling with cowardice or the coward himself, there is redemption. There is redemption. It's demonstrated in the lives of the apostles. It's demonstrated in the life of John Mark. It's demonstrated in Peter, who became a fiery, bold leader of the early church after in fear he denied the Lord. There's a simple fix for cowardice. Fall upon the Lord. This is it right here. Isaiah 8, let him be your fear. Fear him. That'll fix the cowardice where men are concerned. In fact, if you're, if you're, if you're full of fear or you're scared, you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Because that's the essence of the filling of the Holy Ghost. It's not dancing around and jumping and screaming and foaming at the mouth and rolling in the floor. It's fearing God and not man. Acts chapter 4.31 tells us exactly what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost. There should be no question. The early disciples there in Jerusalem had been threatened. They had been told Peter and John had been arrested. They had been told not to preach anymore. In the name of Jesus, they were given an executive order. They were released and threatened. And when they were released and threatened, they came back to the saints who were gathered there in Jerusalem. And what did the saints do? They didn't sit around and start complaining to God about persecution and all that. What are we going to do? We better listen, argue, and debate, and all this garbage that the church has today. It says they immediately did what one of us should immediately do if we're in fear. They stopped what they were doing and prayed. They said, Lord, verse 29, not deliver us from our persecutors. Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. So not, Lord, deliver us from our persecutors, get rid of our governor and our fake president and all that, but give us boldness to speak your word. Give us boldness. Take our fear and give us boldness. And then they go on and continue to pray. And then in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. All of those saints gathered there in fear were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then what did they do? They spake the Word of God with boldness. That's what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. To put aside fear to do what Isaiah was told to do, and to be willing to speak God's truth regardless of the consequences. And do whatever you have to do to be able to live for the Lord and speak His truth. And that's what those God-fearing people who left the shores of Europe did. They were willing to lose everything. People buried their, saw their children and their wives die in these ships of disease. Most of the early pilgrims that came on the Mayflower didn't even survive. And the ones that did land in Massachusetts Bay, a lot of, most of them died. But they valued the fear of God more than even their lives. How opposite that is 
of where we are today. Cowardice, what's the fixed? Cry out to God, Lord, give us boldness. Fear God. Let Him be your fear and your dread. That's the cure. Unbelief. We talked about unbelief. Christians struggle with unbelief. We see a man come to the Lord needing healing in the, for his demon-possessed son in the Gospels. Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. The fix for your unbelief is simple. Confess your belief and then ask God to help you. Very simple. These are things a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ is not an unbeliever, though he may struggle with unbelief. He's not a coward, though he may fear. You see, the lost man is connected to his sin. It's his identity. If we're in Christ, our identity is Christ. And if we struggle with these things, we need to repent and cry out to the Lord. It's an easy fix. Today we're going to get into a category that is not something that characterizes a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ cannot be this. If he claims to be this, he is a liar, and he has made God a liar. There's no such thing as a Christian that is this next category. For this is an identity, and it's an identity that's irrevocably connected to pride. And you can't be a Christian and be this. If you are this, then the fix is clear. Beg God for mercy, and maybe He'll show it to you. Maybe He'll draw you to Himself, and maybe His grace will grant you a spirit of repentance. That's your only hope. If you fall in this category, your only hope while breath is in your body is to fall down on your knees and beg God for mercy, that He would grant you a spirit of repentance. Revelation 21, 8 but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable. And murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Guys, it's worth stopping and talking about these things because they characterize our society. They're all around us and we need to be able to recognize it so we're not led into Deceit. The abominable. This word here in the original language has a root. The root is a verb. And it means to stink. It literally means to stink. To smell bad. It's a a reference not just to sinners, but especially filthy sinners. The ones, not the ones who are ashamed of their sin and try to hide it, but the ones who celebrate it and declare it openly. The abominable who celebrate their sin will have their place in the lake of fire. We see that everywhere in America today. Maybe go back 20 years, not so much, but today it's everywhere. Women are encouraged to shout and celebrate their abortion, the murder of their baby. We celebrate murder in this country. We celebrate lies. We celebrate whoremongering and homosexuality. Gay Pride Month is pushed by our government. It's pushed by some of our churches. This is abominable. It's abominable in the eyes of God. The Bible tells us that 
the abominable can be identified by the very show of their countenance. It's written on their face. You can pick them out of a crowd. And their own countenance bears witness against them. The abominable aren't hard to spot, friends. The Bible tells us to judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We are commanded to judge. We're commanded to judge ourselves, to judge one another by the Word of God, and to judge righteous judgment. Judge not that you be not judged has a context. And when we rip it out of there, we twist God's Word. But the abominable can be picked out of a crowd because they show the abomination on their faces. That's what it says in the prophet Isaiah. I recall an incident that happened when Jamie and I went on a date one time. This is an example of the abominable and all over their countenance. We went to get some Assyrian food down in Charlotte somewhere, and we decided to pop into a store. I think it was a Coles. I can't remember. Maybe Jamie does. But there were these two very loud and boisterous effeminate men in the store, obvious homosexuals. And they wanted to make sure everybody in the store knew it. It was all the loud, flaming theater all over their countenance. Loud enough to wear everybody in the store. And I just knew when I walked in there, I knew it in my spirit, that regardless of the fact that I had my wife with me, these loud, boisterous homosexuals were going to hit on me. I just knew it. And I wanted to stay clear. And I'm like, Jamie, we got to stay clear to these guys. I can't deal with this. And just, I'm not even, if Daniel was here, I'd ask him to demonstrate for you uh, what it was. But you know it. You know what I'm talking about. So we carefully avoided. We got our stuff and we walked out in the parking lot. And sure enough, here they come. And I'm thinking, oh boy. And sure enough, their car was parked nose to nose with ours. And I'm thinking, oh, it's coming, it's coming. I got my wife, I'm kind of walking with her, go to let her in the car, and I'm just minding my own business, and sure, one of, sure enough, one of them stops there, and in the most effeminate, flaming voice you can imagine, he says, that's a Subaru, huh? Talking about our car, and I said, yeah. I don't see Subaru. I mean, and the guy was just immediately trying to hit on me, and I just said, well, it's a nice car. I'll be on, you know, I just w- went on my way. But it was just all over their countenance. That's abominable. And it's not just in matters of whoremongering and homosexuality. It's in matters of pride. It's in, it was all over people's countenance during the COVID chaos. The virtue signaling over the mask and all that kind of stuff. I don't care if you wear a mask or not. Do what you want to do. But to go around condescending toward folks. It's all over the countenances of people who claim to be... Christians and pastors and leaders in these big denominations who look down their nose and judge every preacher that ever lived and was used by God. It's all over their countenance. It can't be hid. The abominable can't hide their sins. They don't want to hide their sins. Go to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah, God refers to this type of person. It was all over Israel. In the days of Isaiah. This is the society to whom God told the prophet, don't confederate, don't don't say a confederacy with them. Declare your independence from them. What I read in chapter 8. In chapter 3 verse 9, the show of their countenance doth witness against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. 
Those that celebrate their sin and don't even try to hide it show their sin all over their face. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Isaiah lived in an abominable society that celebrated their sin just like Sodom. And a society like that's only heaping judgment and evil upon itself. It's being fattened up for the slaughter. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. So God gives comfort to the righteous dwelling in the midst of this abominable people, and he warns the wicked. And then he describes the judgment that is upon a nation with an abominable society. This is the judgment, even in Isaiah's day. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, which they, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy past. So God, God's people in that day had a child for a king, King Ahaz. Not quite as big a child as a fake president we have. At least Ahaz could put two senses together and didn't have to whisper when he talked. Had a child for a king. The prophet Amos tells us what kind of women were wielding influence in the land at that time. In fact, Amos the prophet didn't call them ladies. He called them fat cows. That's what God's prophet called them. And that type of leadership was judgment from God. It was judgment from God. If you go back to verses 4 and 5, it talks about God's judgment. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them, and the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. Neighbor, The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. Is that not exactly what our society is today? That is God's judgment upon an abominable society. And God gave us Israel's history to warn us so that we would not fall into that same trap. Now, Israel's end is a promise of blessing as a nation, not the nation states of the Gentiles. The promised end is a stone cut without hands that becomes a mighty mountain and destroys man-made kingdoms and grinds them to chaff. That's the end of this nation. But we are under judgment and we've been warned. Our current president administration, vice president, our Congress, a lot of our local governments and state governments, they are the judgment from God. It's not judgments coming. Children rule over us. These people are children, fools. They can't make a decision that's right to save their lives. They say one thing one day and one thing the next, just like a child. And women rule over us. When women rule over a society, I mean, no offense to my sisters in Christ, but that is a sign of God's judgment. Now, I don't care if that's politically correct or not, but that's a sign of God's judgment. Whether it's because men are weak and won't stand up or whether it's because women just won't take over. It doesn't matter why. It's God's judgment. 
And it's the fruit of an abominable society that declares its sin as Sodom. And if you have any doubt that that's where we are today, I think you probably need to take, get a new set of glasses or go get your eyes checked. You can't even go out anymore. All we did last week, all we did was walk down a sidewalk, minding our own business with a cross. And we're told to go to hell and flipped off multiple times. All I did this morning, this abomination of a society, was lightly tap my horn when a chick in front of me, three of them in a car, sat at a green light texting on a phone. And I was patient and waited, tapped my horn, flipped me off out the window. I got angry, my blood was blowing, I chased them for a little bit. Yep, got on them, got on their bumper, scared them a little bit. Got a little ch- J. Frank Norris on him. Probably shouldn't have done that. But I'm vexed in my spirit with this abomination of a society. Just like Lot was dwelling in the midst of Sodom. I'm vexed. We got to run to God to give us peace. We got to run to God to help us keep our peace. We got to run to God to keep us from doing something we're going to regret. That's what we live in every day. There's no peace outside our fellowship with one another. And in service to the gospel. There's no peace anywhere. The abominable. In Ezekiel, the abominable were in the temple of God doing horrible things. Whoremongering, orgies, worshiping false gods, back to the altar of the Lord, eyes to the sun, worshiping the sun. All of these things they were doing in secret, thinking that God didn't see them, but God took His prophet and showed Him. And what were they saying? They were saying, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord seeth us not. The Lord has forsaken the earth. He doesn't care. We can do whatever we want to do. That's the things that the abominable say. Peter calls the abominable scoffers. Scoffers that walk in the last time. We're surrounded by it. It's in our news media. It's in our schools. It's in our government. It's in a lot of our churches. Second Peter, you know this passage. Second Peter chapter 3. Verses 3 through 7. Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers, abominable, scoffers. The root of an abominable man is his scoffing at God's truth. That's why he can celebrate his sin. Walking what? After their own lust. And what are they saying? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Where is God? I mean, for millions of years, the earth is spun around a sun that spun around a galaxy that spun around the universe. There's no God. You're just a speck of dust on a random ball floating around in space. Where is God? God doesn't judge nations. It's Mother Earth. It's the environment. It's climate change. Where is God? You stupid Christians, there's no God. Scoffers, there's no God. For this, they are willingly ignorant of. Guys, there's two types of ignorance. There's ignorance and there's willful ignorance. Willful ignorance loves being ignorant. We call it cognitive dissonance. 
Condemnation without investigation is the pinnacle of willful ignorance. It's amazing the things we're so quick to condemn that we won't even investigate. Now, I'm willing to investigate and call wrong, wrong. But if I'm wrong and I investigate, then, and I find the truth to be something else, then I better change. But this they are willingly ignorant, willful ignorance. Isn't that where we are today? I got my gum stuck on my Bible up here. Man, I got a, every preacher has some quirks. I was reading about one this morning that had some quirks himself. They hated him in his day. He actually shot a man four times who came after him in his office and threatened to kill him. Jury met for 20 minutes and found him not guilty. And then you've got these blowhards that think they know everything at the Gospel Coalition all these years later writing articles about and standing in judgment over a preacher that was used by God to bring many people to Christ. Pastor two of the largest churches in the country in the 1920s. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? J. Frank Norris? Anyway, I love how, I love how these, these uh, stuffed shirt, ivory tower pastors and teachers today that got their little blogs and their little gospel coalitions. They can sit in judgment upon preachers of God from bygone ages, judging history like a fool instead of trying to learn from it. If you want to throw up, go read some of the garbage that's on the Gospel Coalition website. Oh, you'll find some good stuff on there because that's the way Satan works. He lures you in. But there is some garbage on there. Garbage. The people that want to stand in judgment of J. Frank Norris and his preaching wouldn't even know how to share the gospel with a, light, a lost man on a street corner if their life depended on it. Mm-hmm. Do you know that J. Frank Norris one time showed up where a mob was gathered to come and lynch him? He didn't wait for them to come. He just went out there on the street into the middle of that mob with his Bible and started preaching to them. Some men got saved that mm-hmm. night. Now I'm trying to think of people like Tim Keller and some of these... I'll just zip my lip while I... I want to try to think about men like that. Or this Ed Litton, or whatever his name is, that plagiarizes all his sermons. I'd like to think about them doing something like that. A fool judges history, a wise man learns from it. Man, where am I going here? (laughs) Scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. It's by the word of God that the heavens of old came into being. The same heavens we see now. And the earth in the water, the Spirit of God floating over the face of the deep, stood out of the water. And the waters above the firmament, the waters below the seas. These things were by the word of God. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's not talking about Noah's flood. That's talking about something we don't get a lot of detail in the scriptures. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now. So what we have now, the heavens and the earth now, that is scoffed at, by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The heavens and earth which are now that men think they know everything about and boast that there is no God and billions of years and all this stuff, they're being kept in store for judgment and wrath 
and judgment by fire. The heavens didn't change with Noah's flood, neither did the earth. It was flooded, and then the waters receded. Something went on in, 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 in ages past. I don't know. The Bible drops some hints. We're going to learn all those great mysteries in the presence of the Lord one day. And we're all going to learn, just like Job and his friends, that we really don't know as much as we think we know. God gives us things we can know. These things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that. We can know that Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, we can know that's true and we can know that believing on that gives us eternal life. But there's a whole lot we don't know about. And the abominable think they know everything. They think they know it all, and they think it's their place to tell you everything. And that's what we live in today. Scoffers. They are scoffers. But the abominable cannot hide from God. They think they can, but they cannot. God knew what was going on in Solomon's temple in the day of Ezekiel, just before the temple was destroyed. And he knows exactly what's going on in the United States Capitol. He knows exactly what's going on in the hallways, the dark closets, and the corners of the White House. He knows about all the child sex trafficking that our Republican and Democrat leaders are involved in. He knows about the child rape. He knows about the murders that have been covered up. He knows about it all. You can't hide from him. My friends, I don't think we can even conceive the level of evil that is in Washington, D.C. We talk about it, but I, I honestly believe with everything in me that it's far worse than we can conceive. It was for God's prophet Ezekiel. He didn't think it was that bad. God jerked him by the head of the hair and said, let me show you what's going on in this temple. Backs to God, faces to the sun, worshiping the sun. Worshiping the create, creation instead of the creator. Just like today. I don't think we can see. Can see. Washington, D.C. is abominable. Its chief export is iniquity. We need to call it what it is. That's the true spirit of 1776. July 4, 1776. Anybody know how many words are in the preamble of the Constitution? I think it's like 52 or 57. Declaration of Independence, I'm not sure. It's not very long. You could read the Constitution of the United States in about 10 minutes. It's not very long. You know how many words are in the U.S. Code of Laws today? Thousands upon thousands. Take you 6,000 hours to read it. That's not the spirit of July 4, 1776. And that is not what our country was founded to be. We need to declare our spiritual independence. We need not to walk in the ways of this people. If God grants our nation awakening and revival, we'll praise Him. But if not, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King Nebuchadnezzar, be it known unto you, O King, that we will not worship your gods. Amos, the prophet, warned the abominable of Israel in his day that you can climb up to heaven, you can dig yourself way down into hell, you can go hide somewhere in the top of the mountains or you could flee to the bottom of the sea and in every one of those places, I will find you, God said, and I'm going to carry you captive. And he did. 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in there and carried the northern tribes off. They've never come back. Abominable here 
that comes from the word to stink is an identity. It's not an act of sin, it's an identity. All of these are identities. But this is an identity that is completely at odds with the nature of a Christian that we are told is imparted to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a Christian's nature. Not by the works of men, but by the power of God. Not by the virtue and morality of man or his choices, but by the good grace of God and his sovereign hand of providence. This is the nature of a believer, a true Christian. Ask yourselves if this can be your nature, and at the same time you can be abominable. And you, that is to us, the believers, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, just like the spirit of Antichrist is working in our society today, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The abominable are by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, not but I or but you, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the futuristic use of the aorist tense in Greek. It's the futuristic uh, 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 use of the past tense. In other words, the sitting and ruling and reigning with God in heavenly places that awaits the saints in the kingdom of God Though future is as good as done. Therefore, Paul speaks of it with the past tense. It was a common literary device in ancient Greek to make a point. These things, though future and time are as so certain, they are as good as done. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. No, wait, I'm not even, I'm sorry, I, I was reading. That, that verse actually went good with that, but I was in the wrong <laughs> chapter. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, he hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, chapter 2, then verse 7, that into, in the ages to come, not just one age, but ages to come, we don't know what God has planned for all that beyond what's revealed here in Revelation 21. It's not given in detail. He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, God's going to show us how His grace works. And we're going to learn the truth of all of the great mysteries that men think they know everything about. And we're going to see how ignorant we really were. But God's grace was abundant. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If we are saved by grace through faith, by God's mercy, His providence, and His election, words the New Testament uses, and if we are ordained by Him, having been saved by grace and faith, to walk in good works by His power, then how is it possible that a Christian, a believer with this nature, could be, an abom- be abominable in his identity? How is it possible that a Christian with his nature can celebrate that he's a homosexual and say, I'm a gay Christian? How is it possible that a Christian could say, abortion is good and God's blessing our abortion ministry to kill little babies? I mean, there are people that say that garbage. Or... Christians that live in open sin and think nothing's wrong with it. Is that possible to have this nature and to be able to live in open sin and celebrate it without conviction? It's not possible. You may live a certain way. You may struggle through things. You may fall into things. But you have the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. And there is a a witness there. That's going to shout loudly. This, the abominable, is incompatible with the nature of a believer. It'd be like trying to stick a PC-based software app into a Macintosh computer and getting it to work. It won't work. It won't work. I couldn't ever run QuickBooks for PC on my Mac. It's incompatible. I had to have QuickBooks for Mac. You don't take the nature of a Christian and run it in a a life of abomination. It's incompatible. Or vice versa. Abominable software doesn't run in a Christian with the nature described here. In a sense, abominable is a little different than the other two. Although all of these are are those identities which are incompatible. There's one fix for the abominable. One fix. Cry out to God for mercy. Drop to your knees yesterday and plead to God for mercy. Get born again. If peradventure, I'm quoting 2 Timothy 2, God will grant you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If God grants you repentance. I don't know if He will or not. We, who are not of the abominable. We who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must instruct the abominable. And that's the essence of what Paul is telling Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that I just quoted. I'll look at the entire passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 25 and 26. I'll go read verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Those that oppose themselves are the abominable. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil 
who are taken captive by him at his will. Here, Timothy is told to instruct the abominable. In meekness, the hardest thing for us street preachers to remember sometimes, in meekness, not using their ways. When we instruct the abominable or preach to them the gospel or warn them against sin, we need not use their ways. Their ways are to scream and holler and protest and march and all of this. We don't need to use their ways. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. And it doesn't mean whispering or necessarily a soft voice. But it's other than the ways of the abominable. Not using their ways. The Bible says in Colossians 4, let your speech be always with grace. Now we need to remember that. I didn't have grace in my heart after that wicked girl flipped me off in front of my family and my kids this morning for no reason. But let your speech be always with grace. But it doesn't stop there. We always stop there. Seasoned with salt. What, what, what does salt do to food? It gives it a bite, a flavor. Our speech should be seasoned with salt. That means we're willing to warn people and tell them what sin is. And not back away from it. If our speech is seasoned with salt, then it's with grace, whether the people are, are offended or not. It's not the, we don't speak with grace for the sake of men. We do it for the sake of God, who commands us to. And men are going to hate us anyway if they're abominable. But let our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. <clears throat> God told His prophet Jeremiah something similar. He lived in a period of abomination, especially... It was restrained for a while during his ministry under the kingship of Josiah. But when he died at a young age, you know, sometimes when righteous men die, righteous men in positions of leadership die suddenly, it's not judgment upon them, it's judgment upon the wicked society in which they held influence. Jonathan Edwards preached a powerful sermon about that, the strong rods. It's an interesting sermon to read that was preached uh, around the same time as sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jeremiah 44, we are to instruct the abominable. We're not to give up and keep quiet and run and hide. We're to instruct and we're to preach the truth. Jeremiah is told, because of their wickedness, which, which wickedness, verse 3 of chapter 44, they have, which they have committed to provoke me to anger in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they knew not, neither they, ye, nor your fathers. Abominable. How be it, I sent unto you all my servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. But they hearken not, nor incline their ear to turn from their wickedness, to burn no incense to other gods. So Jeremiah was, pre was, was, was told by the Lord that this wicked people is engaged in all this abominable stuff. And yet, by my mercy, I raised up prophets who I commanded to go to them and say, don't do this abominable thing which God hates. And yet they didn't listen. It's God's mercy to raise up people who will warn the wicked. That's the spirit of a Bible preacher, of a prophet of God. Don't do this abominable thing that God hates. There are things that God hates. And our message amidst an abominable people
people ought to be. Stop doing this wickedness that God hates. Judgment's coming. Flee to Christ. It's often been said there are four boxes that exist to defend the freedom and liberty given unto us by our forefathers through the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. One of those is the ballot box. Go to the ballot box, let your voice be heard. Therefore, protect your liberty and freedom. The ballot box is hopelessly lost. We don't have that box anymore. It's corrupted. You can't fight your way or vote your way out of voter fraud. You just can't do it. And all of this smoke and mirrors about audits and all that kind of stuff, don't believe it. Don't buy the lies. It's a circus. Okay? If, if they actually came out and claimed that there was cheating and showed proof of it and then things were made right, I'd be surprised. We all know it was stolen. We all know it's cheated. We all know it's corrupt to the core. So the ballot box doesn't work anymore. Let's quit kidding ourselves that it does. Then you've got the jury box. You know, a jury by one's peers to determine right from wrong. Guys, that doesn't work anymore. That doesn't defend liberty, freedom, righteousness. It oppresses. It tries to stamp out those things. You know, trials at the local level and at the national level, just like kangaroo courts. I mean, it's garbage today, this, 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 this uh, prosecutor in New York going after Trump. I mean, it's just a kangaroo court. It's not, it's not about righteousness. I mean, it's like they're fishing for all this stuff and all they can come up with was some financial officer did the very things that every one of them do. Exactly. Evade taxes. The things we don't do, the things I don't do, I report my income. I pay taxes. But these guys don't do it, and yet they go after somebody they claim doesn't do it, and they're all guilty. It's a travesty. Supreme Court is a joke. It's a joke. It doesn't matter who... Guys... I hope you realize now that the power to appoint Supreme Court judges is not a reason to vote anymore. It doesn't matter. The ones Bush put in there, the ones Clinton put in there, the ones Obama put in there, and the ones Trump put in there, they're no different. I mean, that idiot body of buffoons this week refused to hear a case involving religious liberty, the freedom of a florist to serve who she wants to serve based upon her religious convictions. They refused to hear it, and now she's going to be punished by the state of Washington. These people don't care about the Constitution. They don't care anything about it. They're liars. They're thieves. They're corrupt. They're abominable. So the jury box doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it's corrupt. I mean, we have folks in here that kind of know that a little bit even in matters that should be so simple before the law. The fact that people don't get a speedy trial in this country and they get, they get stuck in these county jails and it gets dragged out and delayed and the criminal never has to face justice. Corrupt. Mm -hmm. Wicked as hell. So the jury box don't work. Forget that. Cross off the ballot box. Cross off the jury box. Useless. But there are two more boxes that defend liberty. And one of them is very important right now. And it's the essence of what God tells His people to do in the midst of an abominable society. It's called the soapbox. And I use it every day when I'm out there walking with the cross. I'm using it right now because it's going online. The soapbox. That means we get up and we're willing to say what's right, not apologize for it. If you're going to say what's right and then you're going to apologize for it, you're better off not saying it at all. 
But say what's right. Don't tell people what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to hear. All do not this abominable thing which I hate. There is power in the soapbox when it involves the Word of God. Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. For all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. When this is what you preach on the soapbox, it has more power than a ballot box and a jury box put together. Let's use the soapbox. Let's use it. Maybe I ought to look at it like if I'm walking across the country and talking to people and people don't flip me off and cuss me out, maybe I'm not using the soapbox properly. You know, they used to say in their sniveling condescension and judgment of all that came before in Christian circles, everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And if absolutely necessary, use words. Now, I don't know what all that gobbledygook means. It's, it's Disneyland circus garbage. Paul the Apostle said, I believe, therefore I speak. There's no such thing as a preacher that doesn't speak. I say everywhere you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, stand on a soapbox and use a bullhorn. That's what our society needs today. There's another box that I'm not encouraging you to use it, but at least keep it dry. Keep it dry. Keep the humidity off of it. Put it in the back of the closet. It's called the cartridge box. That's another box that defends liberty. And the, may, the day may come, God forbid, when it has to be used to protect the innocent. Because the righteous are commanded to protect the innocent. And if they refuse to do it, God who keeps them safe will remember that. Proverbs. Very clear. But for now we have the soapbox. Let's use it. Let's warn the abominable to stop doing these things and to flee to God and flee to Christ before it's too late. We still have a job here particularly us Christian men, as the leaders of our family, and as preachers and witnesses, we have a job to go out here and use the soapbox while we can. The abominable. What comes next? The murderers. The murderers have no place in the kingdom Their part is in the lake of fire and brimstone, which burns for all eternity. The murderers, the abortion doctors, the news media, every one of those talking heads that comes on the TV every night, uh, CNN, NBC, whatever you call them, they're murderers. Women who murder their unborn children, they're not victims, they're murderers. The CDC, murderers. Dr. Fauci, he's a murderer. His part is in the lake of fire except he repent. The U.S. government, murderers. U.S. military, are they murderers, Grant? You served them. I don't want to speak for somebody. Murderers, right? Okay, yeah. Murderers. The top brass. Top brass are wicked devils from the pit of hell. That guy that's in charge of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just a femi, wicked, everything here. A joke. And a murderer. The president's a murderer. The vice president's a murderer. The Supreme Court is a murderous body. How dare you say such a thing? Well, how is it that we... Charles Manson never lifted his hand 
and killed a man. And yet Charles Manson went to prison for his entire life convicted of murder. Why? Because he convinced other people to go out and murder so it would start a race war and turn blacks and whites against each other in this country. And he was condemned for murder and he died a murderer. You tell me how what our president and our news media and the CDC and BLM and Antifa is doing today is any different than Charles Madison in the eyes of God. Charles Manson is our president. When you stir up people with lies so they'll kill each other, you are a murderer according to the law of God. You're a murderer. Our president is a murderer. And he should pay for his crimes with a trial by jury, a swift conviction, and execution. I make no apology for that. That's righteousness in the eyes of God. Our vice president is a murderer. The news media are murderers for what they've done to this country, turning otherwise peaceful people of various races and backgrounds against each other. That's wicked as hell. The largest terrorist, murderous organization on the face of the planet is the American news media, and we export this murderous tyranny across the world. Make no mistake, they want us to kill each other. They want us to hate each other. I've told people this as I walk by. People that don't look like me. They want me to hate you because they hate us all. They're murderers. No different than Charles Manson. How is our Supreme Court any different than Charles Manson? When they will not take up cases that deal with these things. They're they're no different. They're no different. God's, God's court, in God's court, there's righteousness. And God doesn't change. The why is not important. A lie is a lie. Murder is murder. And God judges the heart. Oh, how we need Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need a Savior. But for the grace of God, I'm no different. We're told in 1 John chapter 3... Verse 12, or actually verses 11 and 12. This is what we as believers are told. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love for the brethren. I love how Christians will love the the, the whoremonger and the abominable and the murderer. But God forbid they give their Christian brother or sister the benefit of the doubt. Wicked as hell. I don't even know any other way to describe it. I'm sorry. That's the only way I know. Uh, 1 John 3, 11, Love one another not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Guys, Cain is the father of all man-made religion. He's the one, the father of all that say, I will worship God on my terms, not his. And that's why he brought God an offering from the ground instead of a blood sacrifice that God commanded. Cain is the father of all man-made religion, and he was a murderer. He was a murderer. And that's why all man-made religion is murderous. It all is. Man-made religion is murderous. The history 
of man-made religion proves it. And why? Why is that a surprise? The father of all man-made religion was a murderer, and so his spiritual children are murderers. Judaism, rabbinic Judaism is murderous. It killed Jesus Christ. It killed James, the apostle with the sword. It killed Stephen. It harangued and harassed and murdered Jewish believers in the first century. It's murderous. Rabbinic Judaism is not biblical Judaism, the foundation of our faith. It's man-made religion, the spirit of Cain from the pit of hell. Islam is murderous from its very foundation. Raping and killing and murdering does it even today to its own people. Wicked. Roman Catholic Church, murderous. A.D. 500 to 1500, 50 million Bible believers murdered by Holy Mother Church. Many just simply because they possessed a copy of the Scriptures. The Mormons are murderers. Have you ever read about the Mountain Meadows Massacre in 1857? Mormons dressed up like Indians and murdered a party of settlers. Just murdered them. I've been to the site. Wicked. Murderous. BLM is a religion. It's murderous. It's a travesty in this country that a man who simply defended himself as he's given the liberty to do by the Constitution when he was surrounded by a mob and one of those mobsters had a, uh, uh, had a weapon pointed at him into his vehicle and threatened to shoot him. He shot him and killed him. And now he's been found, he's been indicted by a grand jury in this country. Jury box is corrupt. Never coming back. COVID cult, murderous. The COVID cult is guilty of murder. They lied to us as a people. They lied to us about medicine that works. Guys, if masks actually worked, then they would ban them. That's the way our government is. If something works for the good of American people, then it's banned. So that ought to tell you right there that all this is garbage. They're murderers. They put people on ventilators and they killed them so they could get the money because we are a murderous society. Murderers. Man-made religion is murderous. Most of what our country glorifies today is man-made religion, and it's murderous. Murder by hand. Murder by neglect. Murder by heart. You know why I like in the King James Bible, thou shalt not kill. The word murder is not correct there. The modern Bible says thou shalt not murder. That's not correct. Because the law of God said thou shalt not kill. That includes murder. But it also includes death through willful neglect. You know, I think it says there in the law, if you've got an ox that you know is dangerous to people and gores people and you let it run free knowing that it's dangerous and it kills somebody, you're guilty of killing. That's what God said. So people who have a pit bull that know it's dangerous to children, know it bites, and turn it loose to run on a neighborhood street, and then that pit bull bites a child and kills that child, that owner's guilty of breaking God's law, thou shalt not kill. That's what God said. So that's why thou shalt not kill is correct, because that includes murder, first, second, third degree, and neglect. 
Neglect is a form of killing or murder in a sense. But there's also murder by heart. Murder by heart. 1 John 3 talks about Cain, and then it goes down a few more verses. Verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He who hates his brother is a murderer at heart. Jesus speaks of, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you that if any man is angry at his brother without a cause, he's guilty. He he, he runs a risk of judgment. Anger without a cause is hatred of the heart. Hatred of the heart is murder in the eyes of God. A believer may be guilty of murder, but he's not a murderer. A believer may, in the heat of the moment, do something foolish and be guilty of taking a man's life, but he's not a murderer. A murderer is connected to that sin. That's what he desires to do. It's bred in him. And he has no guilt or no shame. He celebrates it. Just like our society today does with the murder of unborn children. 1 Peter 4, why would I say such a thing? Well, 1 Peter 4 says, Peter warns believers of things they could be guilty of, but not not to be guilty of them. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. In other words, be ashamed if you suffer as these things. You're not supposed to be doing this stuff. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. So yet, it happens from time to time. J. Frank Norris was accused of, of murder when... A man, some say two men entered his office threatening to kill him. He'd already been threatened. Guy reached for something and the preacher thought he was reaching for a gun so he pulled a revolver out and popped four caps in him. He fell dead. Now it turned out that the attacker didn't have a gun on him but sure looked like it. So they called J. Frank Norris a murder and the media just tried to destroy him just like they do today. He was acquitted. 20 minutes is all it took with the jury. But... Um, a believer is not a murderer. Let us therefore not suffer as murderers. Let us not be guilty. Let us not hate in our heart without a cause. Let us not hate our brother and be guilty of these things because that is not our identity. Let me just cover one more and we'll be done for today. Revelation 21.8, the abominable, the murderers, and then what? The whoremongers. You know what the word there in Greek is, the original language? Pornos. It's where we get the word porno, pornography, whoremongers. Webster's 1828 dictionary, which dates back to around the time our country was founded, the work of Webster, Noah Webster. I like it. It's kind of a standard reference manual on the English language as it should be. A whoremonger is, de- is, is defined as a whoremaster. One who practices lewdness. In other words, it's a regular part of their behavior. Lewdness. So what is that talking about? It's talking about porn freaks, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, 
trannies, child molesters, swingers, sexual sinners. Their identity is lewdness. No control. All sorts of sexual sin practiced with pride. Practiced as lewdness. Whoremongers. Whoremongers, porn freaks, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, transgenders, drag queens, child molesters, swingers have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. We are a nation of whoremongers. Those who seek to destroy the family are whoremongers. What does it say in Hebrews 13? Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. Marriage in the family is honorable before God. Husband, wife, children. The nuclear family, the bedrock of society. It's honorable in all things and the bed is undefiled. The marriage bed is undefiled. Those who try to lecture a man and his wife about the marriage bed and what is and isn't supposed to be. The marriage bed is undefiled. Usually those, well I won't even go there. Usually those that want to lecture us about everything that should or shouldn't be done in the marriage bed usually are the biggest perverts on the planet. Go digging around in the closets and you'll find um, anyway. I marvel when single men who've never been married have tried to lecture me about the marriage bed. It's happened. Just chuckle. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Whoremongers and adulterers seek to destroy the family that God calls honorable. What they do is they they call good what God says He'll judge and they call evil what God says is honorable and undefiled. That is whoremongering. Those who want to destroy the family in our society are whoremongers. You know, all those pushing the drag queen story hours and the gay pride months. That's whoremongering. And they're whoremongers. They want to destroy the family. Good preachers in the 1870s and 80s warned us about this when there was all that push for women's suffrage and public education. They warned us that this is not about women and it's not about education. It's about destroying the family. They were right and nobody listened. Ephesians 5 tells us no whoremonger has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And we learn that in the millennium, Revelation 22, that whoremongers don't get entrance into the new Jerusalem. They're without, with the dogs. You don't get any access to God's city. Believers may fall into sexual sin, but they are not whoremongerers. No such thing as a Christian homosexual because homosexuality is an identity. It's not a desire or a lust. What is gay? Gay people do gay things. Okay? Homosexuality as trumped up. I don't even like the word. Okay? I don't like the word. It's a 20th century word. Just like a career is a 20th century invention. It has no place in the vocabulary of a pastor or a teacher. What I do is not my career. It's my calling. And I have to do it 
whether I am successful or not. Homosexual is a 20th century word, just like dinosaur. It's all rooted in evolution. They used to call dinosaurs dragons. And yes, the Bible speaks of those. There's lots about God's creation we don't know. And we think we know. And we're wrong. Just like Job and his three friends. But homosexual, by its very denotation, assumes evolution. The word assumes it. That men are born a certain way and they have, they have no way of not being that way. Well, then why did Jesus die? Why did he come? Amen. They're not homosexuals. They're sodomites. That's what the Bible calls them. That's what righteous kings were praised for ridding the land of the sodomites. I didn't say it. God wrote it. But they're sodomites. There's no such thing as a Christian sodomite who practices homosexuality and thinks it's okay and makes excuses for it. There's no such thing as an adulterer that thinks it's okay. I'm a Christian. I go to church with the woman I'm committing adultery with. And we had a good Bible study this morning. And it was so nice to get together with other Christians and going home. And nothing's wrong with it. Man, in the church today, we don't even think there's anything wrong with sex outside of marriage. I had someone approach me recently to pray for a situation. And I'm willing to do it. And I feel sorry for him. He's not the guilty one. But it was like the sin that caused it didn't even exist. The sexual sin that caused it wasn't even an issue. And I mean, how, what am I praying for if that's not even recognized? It used to be in my day, if you waited to have sex until you were married, you were in a minority. I mean, you were kind of in the minority. But now... You're, you're, you're an idiot. You're, like a, you're a weirdo. You're crazy. You're insane. Whoremonger, by definition, is one who practices something. It's an identity that just like abominable is incompatible with the Christian nature. Let me end with an illustration here. As we talk about these sins and maybe things we've struggled with or are tempted, I want you to envision a river a quiet stream, a cool stream, moving ever so slowly. It's tempting. And up ahead is a waterfall that you can't see or hear, but it's there. And the stream starts picking up. And once you get caught in it, you're caught. And it's over the waterfall and dead for you. That stream represents sin. And alongside that stream is a trail where a man can traverse without getting in the water and the trail is fraught with obstacles and sometimes it's hard to find and sometimes it hugs the river. There are those swimming in the river, celebrating, having a good time, completely oblivious to the danger ahead. And then there are those walking the trail. They occasionally may slip and fall into the water, but they get out and they stay on the trail. The abominable, the whoremonger, the murderer, the unbelieving, the coward are those swimming in the river, oblivious to the danger. The believer is the one that stays on the trail. Oh, he slips and falls, but when he feels that cold water and that stream beginning to pick up, what does he do? He swims to shore and gets out. That's what a believer does. 
because his nature is not the nature of the unbelieving, the fearful, the abominable, the whoremonger, the murderer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says here, reiterates what we've been told here in Revelation 21.8. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that falls under whoremongering, nor idolaters, we're going to see that a little bit later in 21.8 of Revelation, nor adulterers, whoremongers, nor effeminate, whoremongers and cowards. You can be effeminate and be a coward, or you can be effeminate and be a whoremonger. The effeminate is the man in a, in, a, in a sodomite relationship that plays the part of a woman. The feminine. The ones that put a show. Loud, happy, flapping. I mean, it's just all. Dealt with that at a Dunkin' Donuts the other day. We've been walking all day. Pulled up. And this guy probably wasn't 16, 17 years old. And it was just, you know, it's nice for people to be happy, but it was a level, it was a show of countenance that was... Oh, it was repulsive. It was the same thing I was telling you about, about the soul. Oh, that's a Subaru. Same thing. And I'm just like Eric and I, I just want to throw up. And uh, it was effeminate. And when he gave us what we ordered, I just said, man, I, I wish that level of happiness. I don't know what that is you have there. I wish it was contagious, but it's not. It's not. It's effeminate. The effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those are homosexuals. That's the man that plays, that's, the, homo, that's the, uh, the sodomite that plays the role of the man, the dominant one. So you've got two types of, of sodomites here, the effeminate and the dominant. Nor thieves, and they say the New Testament doesn't talk about homosexuality. Jeez, man, people, ignorant. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. These don't inherit God's kingdom. But, or and, such were some of you. Such was me. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. You're washed by the blood that has the power to cleanse from all sin, 1 John. And you're set apart, sanctified by God. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by one who is just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God. That is the Christian. Such was some of us. And because it was some of us and we've been washed, we don't celebrate it. We don't make excuse for it. We know it's wrong when we look at pornography. We know it's wrong when we lust after someone that's not our wife. We know it's wrong when we get drunk. We know it's wrong when we lie or have hatred in our heart. We know it's wrong when we're hot-tempered. We know these things are wrong. We need to confess them. And He who is faithful and just will cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Because we've been washed. That is the believer. That's the believer. So this indictment, this last bit of hellfire and brimstone preaching in the Bible. In all of the Bible, this is the last hellfire and brimstone warning. We're told who hellfire and brimstone is reserved for. And if we love people and we love our fellow Americans who fall in these categories, then we're going to love them enough to tell them the truth. 
and warn them about where their sin leads them and tell them about how they can be saved. The homosexual, the whoremonger, the murderer, his whoremongering is the least of his problems. He's an unbeliever. And unbelief leads to hell. You know, all this other stuff, the Holy Spirit of God will fix. Confess and believe. The thief hanging on the cross with Jesus was a murderer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Told his friends, shut up. This guy's done nothing wrong. We deserve our punishment. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Simple repentance and faith. And what did Jesus say to a murderer who was no longer a murderer? Guilty of murder, but he's no longer a murderer. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's good news for the murderer, the homosexual, the abominable, the liar, even the sorcerers. It's good news. But we got it starts with acknowledging what God says about sin and not what we think or feel. So may we be those that bid a warning doom to those children who play in the freeway. That's our duty as men and women of God. Don't do this abominable thing that God hates. This is why our country is where it is. Flee to Jesus Christ. I told a guy this week, there's no hope for America, but there's still hope for Americans because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He suffered, He died, He rose from the grave. And God commands us to be repent and we can be washed of our sin. And we can find sanctuary in the same God who's going to judge and is judging this nation. Amen. So we've got the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars left. And so, Lord willing, we'll try to get through that next week. See if you can go find out the word sorcerer, what word it comes from in the original Greek, and what words exist in our language today that come from that word. Because when we think of sorcery, it's all around us, and we're buying into it every day, and we can't even see it because we associate it with idols and witches' brews and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff's still around, guys. There's witches and warlocks and their little potions and all that stuff. It's all out there. Sorcery. It's everywhere. But the sorcerer will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. The serious and sobering truths and warnings that you put in there because you love us and you care about us and you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. There's as much hope in Jesus Christ for an old drunk homosexual living on the streets in San Francisco as there is for the President of the United States. Because you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you call all men everywhere to repent and believe. Lord, we pray you would have mercy upon our society. That that cowards, that unbelievers, that the abominable Lord, that murderers and whoremongers and idolaters and liars and sorcerers would wake up. That you would bring awakening and revival in the church, and awakening in society, that men would do what they did in Ephesus at the preaching of Paul. They would take their books and their curious arts and all their lies and throw them in the fire. Lord, do a work in our nation. We don't deserve it. We're already under your judgment. 
But may we be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the men of faith and women of faith, Lord, confessing that we are strangers and pilgrims in this earth. And I pray, Lord, we use the soapbox in meekness, not using their ways, but in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, God, you'll give them repentance. May we, let, may, may we make you our fear and our dread in this nation and not men, corrupt officials. And Lord, may we live independently of a wicked society, just like your apostles, who didn't overly concern themselves with the political chaos of the Roman Empire at the time. They just went and preached your resurrection with power. Those who had been cowards were bold preachers. Grant unto us your service that with all boldness we may speak the word and fill us with your spirit that we would speak the word boldly. Help us to lay aside every weight and the sin. Some of this stuff talked about here that such so easily besets us and to run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, with whom we can sit in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy in Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. That is a free gift. That is freedom from the bondage of these sins about which we read. And thankful that in Jesus our part is not in the lake of fire, it's an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Lord, bring more people into your kingdom before it's too late, Jew and Gentile. Bless the food we're about to eat and our fellowship one with another in Jesus' name. And we are thankful, Lord, for the witness that this nation was in American history. We are vexed by what it is, but we are thankful for faithful men and women of God who came to these shores and sowed the gospel so that we could grow up and hear it. There are still many in other places that have never heard it. But we've heard it. And that is your mercy and grace. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for all those believers. Those who served our country. Those who served it and spilt their blood. Those who gave up everything. Those who gave their lives that others might live. And those who faithfully preached the gospel so that the gospel has had an unbroken witness from 1776 until right now. We're thankful for that, God. Keep using us and help us to understand what those sacrifices are and to take up that mantle. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, we will trust you to lift up a standard against him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.